Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not of them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at trilogy underscore pod. Bailing on me tonight is my good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. I last talked to him around 9 o'clock tonight, and as you know, it was a late game in this finale versus the White Sox, and I believe that old man passed out on me, so I will be flying solo for this White Sox recap. Getting us started here, the Brewers end up splitting the series 2-2, two and two, so they drop the first two at home in Miller Park, and then win the second two in Chicago. So game one was that 6-4 loss. Brett Anderson made his first start, and then it was piggybacked by Corbin Burns. Anderson went three innings, giving up two runs. When Burns came in, he was pitching really well, and then he could tell f- fatigue started. Uh, started to settle in, ended up giving a couple runs there. David Phelps and Corey Knable were unable to hold the game tied late, and then the Brewers' offense generated all four of their runs with two out hits, and three of those RBIs came from Avisil Garcia. Those were his first three RBIs of the season. Game two was the 3-2 loss. The Brewers ended up grabbing an early lead off of Ben Gamble to run homer, The White Sox would answer with a two-run homer of their own off of Brandon Woodruff, which would be his really only mistake of the night. Devin Williams came in in a high-leverage situation, ended up giving up the eventual go-ahead run in the seventh, and it was unearned. There was a terrible throwing error by Eric Sogard to the first batter of that seventh inning that was the eventual winning run that ended up scoring there. Game 3 was a 1-0 shutout win for the Brewers. Christian Yelich was rested for, to get a mental break is what Craig Council kind of worded it as. The uh, Brewers scored their only run on three straight hits from the 7 through 9 hitters in the third inning. Hauser would go 7 strong innings, Phelps got the 8th, and then Hayter gets the save in the ninth. That was their first 1-0 win since early of April 2019. And then game four, the Brewers win 8-2. They run away with it. Josh Lindblom got the start, went five solid innings. He ended up striking out the first five batters of the game, allowed a single, and then a home run. And that was it for the White Sox the rest of the night. And the offense really gave him some solid support, put up a bunch of crooked numbers, left a lot of runners on, but they also put a crap ton on as well, so you can't complain about that. So this is the time where I'd normally go, hey, Trevor, what would you think of the series? And he'd give me some answer, but 
It's just me tonight, so my thoughts on the series. Well, we are now one-sixth of the way done with the season. The Brewers go 500 through the first 10 games that they have played. Of course, it's kind of weird. You know, we had that canceled series against the Cardinals. The Marlins are a lot of games behind everyone, and then some teams are, you know, like 13, 14 games in already, so it's it's kind of strange how the MLB's playing out in that regard, but overall, like a grand scheme of things, you have to believe like the biggest downfall is the offense, right? They have been pretty pitiful, and you have to believe that's going to get better. So going 500 in a stretch where your MVP and Christian Yelch was in the worst slump of his career and pretty much no one else could really get going, like Ben Gamel, Eric Sogard are your highlights, like from an offensive standpoint, yeah, the Brewers are going to get better. Pitching has been has been pretty good. You can't argue with that. I mean, sure, losing Lorenzo Cain now, opting out for the season, that, that kind of hurts, but the Brewers are going to get better. Sure, there we were a 500 team through like pretty much all of last year except September, but... I don't think that's how it's going to shake out this year. Just given the way they started so dreadfully on offense, they're they're going to improve. They're going to put together some, hopefully, some six and four, seven and three stretches. And you know, like we talked about, that 30, 35 wins. That's that's where you're shooting for to hopefully contend for the playoffs. Especially seeing how the top two teams in each division get in now. Just just play well enough to give yourself a chance. With Lorenzo Cain leaving, Craig Council's opted to use Avisil Garcia primarily in center field, which I thought was kind of interesting. He played some center field a lot early on in his career, thinking all the way back to his days. I believe it was with the Tigers, like 2012, he played a lot. Played a little bit last year with the Rays, but not a ton. He's he's okay in center field. If you look at the advanced data on baseball savant, it, it shows you that he has a below average burst and kind of those quick first reactions, but then his route running kind of makes up for it. We know obviously Garcia has good speed for his size, but it takes him a while to get up to that speed. So you know, you're not looking at someone like Lorenzo Cain, who not only runs extremely good routes, but he also has those quick reactions, and Garcia does not have that. So we will see some dip in defensive production. I think that goes without saying. I do think there will be other contenders to play center field throughout the rest of the year. Ben Gamble's obviously the first one that comes to mind, especially with how well he's swinging the bat. Like, if Craig Council wants someone who's in there, or someone to play center field consistently, which is kind of why he picked, obviously, Garcia. I mean, Ben Gamble's been swinging the bat so well, like, he has to be considered in that mix, I think. I mean, otherwise, on the taxi squad, you got guys like Tyrone Taylor, a former second-round pick, Corey Ray, a former first-round pick. So either one of those guys would be contenders to play center field as well at some point this season. In terms of statistics from the White Sox series there was a lot of infield hits for the White Sox and it is very strange like a lot of them came in the first game like when Brett Anderson was on the mound and Anderson's a contact pitcher the White Sox are a contact hitting team plus you put together the speed that they have and I mean yeah that's gonna spell for infield hits I think there was around 10 throughout these four games that the White Sox mustered up and I mean then you take a look at like the Brewers defensively were they exploited with this a little bit I I think so I mean 
Jerko played a lot of third base because there was a lot of lefties for the White Sox. And, well, I think Jerko has really good reactions. He is not blessed with the greatest throwing arm. Kind of the same regard with Eric Sogard. So those are contributing factors to giving up some infield hits. And But, you know, you think it's kind of an anomaly, anomaly, like even when Orlando Arcia is trying to make some plays where he can normally throw guys out on tough plays and it just doesn't doesn't work for him against the White Sox because of their speed. So I think these 10 infield hits is definitely not a sign of things to come. It's just the way the White Sox are built that just played into their hands this series. It's just one of those weird things. Another really weird thing is this idea floating around there of the DH curse for the Brewers. If you take a look at all the different batters who have been in that position this year, they're 7-42 and 42 to begin the year. Obviously not a good start for the DH, and I do think there is something to be said for players getting used to being a DH. I mean, we're going to preview the Reds here at the end of the podcast, but Jesse Winker for the Reds has been their DH, and he's struggling mightily. And he says, you know, it's weird. Instead of going out into the field and, you know, thinking about defense or kind of taking your mind off your last at bat, kind of getting that that mental break from hitting, right? Like, where's the DH? No, that's all you focus on. That's what all the pressure's on when you're not – you know, after your at-bat's done, you just go right back to the batting cage. So, I mean, it's always on your mind, and it is an adjustment for some of these NL hitters. It's it's something different and something a lot of them have never had to do before, and it does take time to adjust. So the Brewers have obviously decided to use a lot of different players in this position. Ryan Healy, for some reason, was in a DH and the leadoff hitter to start this year, I think because, or the series, excuse me, I think because the White Sox had a lot of lefties. I mean, we've seen Kesson here and there. We've seen a little bit of Christian Yelich. Obviously, we'll see a lot more of Ryan Braun when he is off the injured list. So I do think this is something that will hopefully even out a little bit as the season goes along. Other weird things, there's been a lot of people ranting on Twitter about the lack of Josh Hader usage. Take a look at game one of the series. I mean, the the series obviously over the weekend against the Cardinals is canceled, and the Brewers decided not to use Hader in the eighth inning of that game. Now, the game was tied at 4-4 to at that point, so I think that kind of spells a Josh Hader scenario right like the game's tied you want to win but then again if you go out there he gives up a run he's basically knocked out for the game after that so i can kind of see why council didn't use him but at the same time you want to win games game two was kind of the same scenario except just a little bit earlier in the seventh inning there are a lot of fans asking for josh Hader. the game was tied at two to two there i think the seventh is just still a little bit too early to be considering Josh Hader, you bring in some of your other high leverage guys in those spots, and typically the game plays out, and then you know if you need to use Hader or not in the eighth or the ninth in those scenarios. And then uh, the third game of the series, Josh Hader was finally, finally used. It wasn't until the ninth inning. There were some fans who wanted him used in the eighth when we were ahead one to nothing, but the Brewers decided not to do that. And it worked out for Josh Hader got the save in the ninth. And 
I do think some of that has to be with Kirk Council saying he wants to be careful with his bullpen guys, but if you watch Josh Hader pitch, like his fa- fastball velocity is constantly in that 94 to 95 range right now. So is his arm still trying to build up a little bit? Maybe. I mean, you have a long layoff after spring training, and then you try and ramp things back up with summer camp. Obviously, it's not a normal season, but... I mean, I can't remember the Brewers being especially careful with Hader early on in seasons. I mean, I think back to last year in 2019, what we opened up against the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure he got two saves that opening series. I think that's when he had his immaculate inning, right? Like, you you know he's u- he's been used early on in seasons before, so... I don't know. I got a a weird feeling like maybe there's something else going on there. I don't want to say like shoulder fatigue or soreness or anything like that, but I do still think Hayter is trying to build up to where he wants to be, and he's just not quite there yet. So I think that may be why Council is deciding not to use him. Other guys who will no longer be used for the Brewers, at least for the time being, is Ryan Healy and J.P. Feierheisen. So rosters were cut down to 28 on today, Thursday, August 6th, as I am recording this. So the MLB has decided that they will not cut rosters down to 26 in two more weeks from now just because of how things are shaken out. The rosters will stay at 28 for the remainder of the year. I do not believe, I believe they'll stay like that for the postseason, but I'll have to double check. I'm not 100% sure on that. So obviously guys will come and go who's on the active roster, but Ryan Healy, it was a big series for him with the White Sox. As I said, throwing a lot of lefties out there and Kane not being here, Healy got some chances to, to play and Ultimately, he didn't deliver. He went just one of six with two strikeouts in a short little stint up here. And I am kind of upset about J.P. Feierheisen. I mean, I understand he's a young arm. He only pitched on opening day. That was the only appearance he ended up making. I know a lot of fans were screaming for Justin Grimm to be sent down, who looked really good in summer camp and then hasn't had very good results so far in this young season, but I do think Justin Grimm has obviously has more MLB experience. He he's looked sharp. He just he just got hit hard a couple of times in his first couple outings. So I, I hope he rebounds. I'm a big Justin Grimm fan. And then lastly in Brewer News, we do have some rescheduled dates for the Cardinal Makeup series. So the Brewers will end up playing double headers on Monday, September 14th and Wednesday, September 16th, which are both at Miller Park. And then the last game will be made up on September 25th. That'll be a double header at Bush Stadium. So man, talk about potential division swings, playoff implications in September. That's six games against the Cardinals right there that the Brewers will be playing. So yeah, you know, kind of like we talked about when we previewed the season, like you are never going to be really out of it unless you just start off, you know, one of 10 or two of 15 or something terrible like that. Like you can make up division games like crazy. And with those double headers late in the year, that is That is going to be something that you're going to want to monitor super close. Before I move on into the next part of the podcast, I do want to mention a correction. The final game of the Brewers and White Sox was 8-3. 
I'm not going to lie, I cheated a little bit. I started recording in the bottom of the ninth, so Eric Yardley ended up giving up a run here. Um, so just wanted to point out that correction before I go any further. But I'm going to move into the studs. And duds. So for series MVP... I think I'm going to have to go with a pitcher. None of the hitters really stand out to me in terms of spectacular performances, but pitchers do, and that has to go to Adrian Hauser. That gem he pitched in the third game of the series was outstanding. Went seven innings, zero earned runs, five hits allowed, two walks, only struck out five, but man, his sinker had a crap ton of movement. It was outstanding. I mean, there was a lot of talk in the offseason about the movement on his two-seamer in particular, which, you know, it, it was still moving, don't get me wrong, but that sinker, it just, it was eye-popping to me in that start. I, I'm i not quite sure if it's always moved like that, to be honest, but he was he was locating it well, and hitters were just, they were dumbfounded. Like, he made Jose Abreu look silly on countless occasions and that is one tough dude to get out so props to adrian hauser in that it's the second time in his career at least as a brewer that he's gone seven innings the last time he did it was against the nationals last year and the brewers actually lost that game two to one <laughs> hauser went seven innings only gave up two hits and i believe he gave up one earned run there it was uh, an anthony rendon double that brought in that run that he gave up but, you know, it's weird, these two seven-inning stints that Hauser has gone in his career, he, he just doesn't rack up big strikeouts. I mean, he has the ability to, but that sinker, when it's working, yeah, he, he'll generate some contact, and, you know, however he get out gets out is however he gets out. It's like, I'm fine with it. I mean, his pitch count was in great shape. I believe he was at 51 pitches through five innings in the start, so tremendous job he his first two starts of the year have been pretty good he has a 0.75 era so obviously way too early to look into that but it is worth noting for series duds i'm gonna have to do it again i talked about him i believe as an honorable mention in our last podcast with the pirates and i'm gonna go with justin smoke this week he's he is not delivering at first base. This series, 1 of 13, 6 strikeouts. Did have a sack fly RBI, but man, when that's your only production, it's just sad. Like, the Brewers actually technically spent a little bit more money to get smoke rather than re-keeping Thames, and it is not working out early on. The results are not there. It's, it's to me, you start looking at, okay, can... Lomo get hot. I mean, he was hot in summer camp. He hasn't really found regular season success yet. Is it worth shifting Judd Jerko over to first base? He can play there if needed. You know, do you want to even put a catcher at first? I don't know. Ugh. Justin Smoke has just looked lost up there offensively, and his defense has been suspect as well this year. So, I mean, think back to that Pirate series when he had that throw into left field on what should have been a force out at second yikes and his hands have not impressed me it's for me you have reached the end of the line with Justin Smoke and he's gonna have to earn it in less at bats now to get back into that starting lineup but hey 
I'm not card counsel, so we'll, we'll see what he ends up doing. Honorable mentions will shift back to some more positives here. MVPs will stick with pitchers. Obviously, Brandon Woodruff was amazing again. Six innings pitched, six strikeouts. Did allow that two-run homer. That is all he would give up. And then the weird part about his start was out of the 89 pitches he threw, only 10 were change-ups. So he has thrown more change-ups than sliders this year, and it seems like this start to kind of keep hitters guessing or be not be predictable, he decided to only throw 10 of those change-ups. I mean, they, they were excellent pitches. He, he threw them really well. He just He just relied a little bit more on that fastball this start, so... I like the thought process by Woody there, um, showing the ability to mix it up, adapt, and you know, just when you think somebody has a beat on you, you do something different. So, good job there, Brandon Woodruff. Another honorable mention for MVP, Josh Lindblom. I mean, he looked good. As I said earlier, he struck out the first five batters of the game, ended up striking out seven through his five innings pitched. Did give up two earned runs, but a good bounce back for him after he had to leave earlier in his first start, which was, again, against the Pirates as well when he had those low back spasms. So, good to see him. You know, I don't expect him to be... Brandon Woodruff start type but you know going five innings consistently means a lot in a Brewers rotation other honorable mentions will stick with Freddie Peralta through three innings in the finale struck out six batters (laughs) so wow I mean I I'm a big fan of Freddie Peralta out of the bullpen because he reaches back he has that increased velocity I thought his pitches moved a lot more he actually accidentally ended up beaming (laughs) someone on a a pitcher favor count and you know but that that's fine like he has a different mentality out of the bullpen, and I think it's a lot better. His results last year have been better, and I think that's where he should stay. Other things, we'll switch back over to duds. Kesson here wasn't necessarily a complete dud. He did have four hits this, this series out of 17 tries, two walks, but his outs, 10 of them were via the K, so way too many strikeouts there. Otherwise, I mean, you're looking at guys who didn't necessarily perform the way you wanted them to. Um, Christian Yelch started off really bad if it wasn't for his four-walk game in the finale after his day of his rest and his inside-the-parker home run. He he would have put up not-so-good numbers, but you could tell maybe that mental day worked. He was seeing the ball a lot better. Four walks is hard to do. He obviously got pretty lucky on that inside the park home run where the left fielder got caught in the net. And obviously the Yelich's speed, he's he's going to make you pay for that. And yeah, we'll we'll see how Yelich looks because as we move on to the next series, we have the Reds. And the Reds have some crazy good starting pitchers. So the pitching matchups will go as followed. It is Lauer for the Brewers versus Bauer. That sounds pretty cool. Anderson versus Dees. Scalfani, and then Woodruff versus Gray. So if you take a look at the Reds' starting pitcher ERAs, Bauer, 0.68. Di Scalfani, 0. And granted, he's only thrown, I think, 5 innings in one start. And then Sonny Gray, 0.96. Crazy low ERAs, and then it's crazy high strikeout totals for these guys. Sonny Gray has 28 strikeouts, which, as I record this again on August 6th, is second best in the MLB. Trevor Bauer, 20 strikeouts. That's 12th best in the MLB. 
And then you throw in Luis Castillo in there too. He's up near, he's in the top 10 for sure in strikeouts. So you take a look at a Brewers team that loves to strike out. It, it could be a rough weekend series. So the only positive part is, you know, hopefully we get to the bullpen because while the Reds have one of the best starting rotations so far, their bullpen is in the bottom five. They give up a lot of runs. In fact, they gave up, what, 13 runs to the Indians tonight on, on Thursday. The Indians ended up taking three out of four games against the Reds just for reference sake because I know people like to pay attention to how how the Reds and other NL Central teams do against the AL. So that is kind of worth noting. So hopefully, obviously, big game plan for the Brewers, get to the bullpen, because then you'll be in pretty good shape. It will be curious to see how the Brewers pitching does against red hitting. I thought we did really well against the White Sox. They can obviously hit the ball really well, average just under five runs a game. But aside from the first game of the series, I mean, we shut them out one game, held them to three runs. Um, and, And overall, the pitching staff looked really good. But the Reds have been just crushing the ball over the wall to begin the year. Nick Cassianos, power surge in the first 11 games for the Reds, hit six home runs. He currently is second in the MLB in that category. And then you obviously have to think Ingenio Suarez will get going. He only has one home run on the year, but obviously a huge power threat there. Mike Moustakas, big power threat. I think it is worth noting Moose is a little banged up this year already. I mean, he missed some games early on, like that first week with an illness, apparently not COVID-related. And then earlier in the week against the Indians, he left after being hit in the quad, got beamed there. So Moose has always been one of those guys who can play through injury, but we did see him miss time with the Brewers. So it will be worth monitoring how much he plays or if he leaves games early against the Brewers this weekend. As I mentioned earlier, Jesse Winker has primarily been their DH, and he is struggling hardcore. So we will see if the Reds still stick with him this weekend or if they decide to go somewhere else. And then in terms of roster cutdowns, because everyone had to cut the rosters down to 28, the only big-name guy that the Reds optioned to their alternative site was utility man Josh Van Meter. Again, he'd been absolutely struggling on offense as well, but kind of a versatile piece that the Reds are missing in that regard. So either way, we are shaping up for a good weekend series to come here, some important divisional games. Hopefully we actually get to watch Brewers baseball this weekend. Don't want to jinx anything there. So Hopefully Trevor will be back with me next time as we recap the Red Series. That podcast will be coming out on Monday, and then we will gear up for some more games. So until later, we will talk to you later, Brewer fans. 